Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am your host, Ryan Whitledge. Uh, no Brandon Goldner tonight. He's, uh, I don't know, busy hunting down an NFT or figuring out whatever NBA futures bets he wants to be placing or something right now. But in his stead, fresh off of uh, what I thought was a really good piece uh, that he wrote in the Willamette Weekly last week, talking about the Blazers options, I have brought on who I consider my personal uh, NBA capologist, uh, Eric Griffith. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Ryan. I appreciate that. <laughs> so everybody, you know, on top of being a, a, a viral virologist, a politician is now an NBA cap expert uh, when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers, it seems, because depending on where you look, they either have all the options in the world or none of the options in the world. And that was something that I thought your, your piece did a, uh, in Willamette weekly, uh, did a good job of breaking down, but it's, are they somewhere in the middle? I mean, where, where do we want to start with this? Like they sent out a lot of salary. They, they, they didn't take back a lot of salary. There's trade exceptions hanging out there. And I kind of just want to break down the basics for people before we kind of dive into a little more of the minutia. Yeah. So if you want the too long, didn't read version of what the Blazers did, there's three ways to add players in the NBA. You can either make trades, you can sign them, or you can draft new players. Um, and something that happened under Neil Olshay was that the Blazers signed on a lot of guys to very long, high-money contracts. Their key goal was to retain players. And what that led to was players on long, multi-year, high-money deals that were ostensibly untradeable for net positive assets. And so what I mean by that is, like, they had Evan Turner signed to, like, $80 million. Great guy by all accounts. Like, really fun to watch on the court in his own way. But he's not going to bring back a player that is better than him in a trade because of his contract. And so what the Blazers did was they essentially wiped out all of those contracts that would keep them up way over the salary cap and prevent them from being able to make impact trades or from signing free agents in the future. And they basically tried to hit reset on their salary cap book entirely. And the big important thing on why they needed to do this this year was uh, because of what's known as the repeater tax, correct? It's if you're a, a taxpaying team and just any three out of the last four years, doesn't have to be a consecutive or anything, but it's it's three years and a certain amount of time span. If you're a taxpaying team, then uh, then you're kind of screwed and you're instead of paying like a buck 25 per every dollar, it bumps up to like a buck or buck 75 or even higher. Yeah, it's an extra dollar, essentially, for every dollar over the tax. Um, that, you know, we can debate um, how much an owner worth billions and billions of dollars should <laughs> worry about that. And we can also debate how likely it is the Blazers would have been over the repeater tax either way next year. I personally don't entirely buy that line of thinking. It seems more that these moves were made with future flexibility. Um, and by flexibility, I mean the option to pursue trades, free agency, and draft picks in the future. Yeah. So if they, if they would have, you know, even by a million dollars had or popped into being a repeater, uh, you know, they they pretty much kind of would have been stuck with just having to pull off very minuscule minor deals and kind of stuck with their guys or be able to retain their own free agents kind of thing. Is that what I'm getting? Um, it, it really depends on how much the owner is willing to pay. There's nothing, um, being a repeater team is no different than being a team over the luxury tax to begin with, as far as your flexibility to move players around. 
it's more a matter of what the owner is willing to pay. Okay. All right. And that's kind of why you see a teams like, you know, golden state that are, you know, they're what having salaries of like 187 or 197 million or whatever gigantic figure it is for them this year. But obviously they're a lot closer to being a contending team than the blazers were looking at with having that kind of salary level. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was talking about this in a group chat the other day and really it's, it's a matter of most of these teams, you know, we, we don't know how well run they are. We talk a lot about like the internal front office culture and blah, blah, blah. What it really comes down to most of the time is having an owner who's willing to be in the luxury tax. Yeah. And if you don't have an owner who's not willing to do that, it will be pretty difficult to compete seriously in the long term in the NBA. Yeah. Okay. And before all these trades had kicked off, if I remember correctly, the Blazers if they were going to try or in their pursuit of trying to duck that, that repeater tax designation, they only had to shave off what was about 3 million in salary originally is what they were looking at. Yeah. The, the Norman Powell trade alone um, got them under the luxury tax. And then they went way under with the CJ McCollum trade. <laughs> so I kind of want to start at least on, on that front. Cause I think I was found myself livid that they traded Norman Powell. Uh, and from what I gather, you weren't necessarily a fan of that trade either, but I think we were upset about it for different reasons. So why, why, why did that trade kind of get under your skin? Um, yeah, the, the, they made three trades to the deadline. They've obviously resigned Watford earlier today. Hmm. Um, and I think the trade that is the, the most problematic is easily the uh, Norman Powell trade. And that is because they, essentially sent out two very good players two starting quality NBA players and got very little back except for a modicum of cap relief. And that cap relief helps nobody, but the owner, it does nothing to improve the on-court basket, like quality of play. Mm-hmm. And the Blazers are not a team that can be sending players out that have high value or have high on-court impact um, for nothing. They simply don't have that level of talent right now. Yeah. It's one of the weird things in the NBA that I've always found where it's, you know, you, especially in like Robert Covington sense, you know, you always hear the, the term thrown around of, you know, he's a really good player for, you know, for a contending team. So we had to trade him because we want to be a contending team. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those fun slash stupid little catch 22s. And um, so the other big deal that the, the Blazers made obviously is, you know, trading CJ McCollum, um, which I was, I was completely fine with that deal until apparently it cost Larry Nance jr. In order to get New Orleans first round pick, if I followed that correctly, but there's, there was a lot of debate at the time on, you know, who came out ahead in that deal and who got fleeced. And from like, just a, a financial perspective, who do you, who do you think, you know, I, I hate doing this, but who won the trade? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really depends on what your, what your, your priorities and your long-term goals are. I don't think that trade puts the Blazers any closer to competing in the year 2022 dash 23, but I do see how in the long run it, um, it may have been the best possible option for them, especially I believe wasn't Nancy's contract running out at the end of this season. He's already injured. Um, and so if they were not confident in their ability to retain Larry Nance to begin with, that trade becomes far more palatable. Um, but I don't think it's the trade of a team that's going to be competitive next season. Larry Nance had one more year left on that. Deal. One more year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so 
But okay. So, and then the big thing that the Blazers got with that McCullum trade was a, a $21 million trade exception. And, you know, at the time that I think Woj broke or the Woj broke the news as, as all the domino pieces had fell, I'm going to blame him for causing the most confusion in blazer land with throwing out a tweet that said the blazers had approximately $61.3 million in you know, cap space to lure free agents. And I, I think, you know, I stuck my head out the window and collectively heard all of Portland's eyes roll at the same time going, it doesn't matter how much money, what the hell good does that do? But, you know, and then as further reports started running out, you know, it's, there's a $21 million trade exception, you know, the Blazers only have, you know, 8 million or the trade exception and $8 million in, in cap space. And so I mean, realistically, what do they have right now? Or, or what, what are the, you know, the options their or their best options, I guess those are three different questions. What do they have? What are their options and, and what's the best option for with what they were left, you know, to kind of try to clear up any confusion that there is out there about w- this mythical cap number. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the 60 million was if they like let everyone walk, they possibly could have walked, including Simon's, which I think we all know is unlikely to happen. Um, I guess maybe if someone mm-hmm. maxes him and they are not confident in that, but it seems like they're going to match any offer he gets. Um, so rather than worrying about the $60 million number, um, I kind of look at it as Josh Hart and Yusuf Nurkic are the two key players mm-hmm. uh, to consider because Nurkic's um, deal next season is not signed yet. He's a free agent. Um, he will carry a cap hold of, I think it's around $18 million. And then we have Josh Hart's non-guaranteed $13 million contract. And so the Blazers can, if they keep both of those players, they're unlikely to have any cap space at all. If they keep both Hart and Nurkic, they're probably not going to have any cap space. And that means that they will have access to that $21 million trade exception you're talking about. They'll have access to another $6 million trade exception they got in the Robert Covington deal. They'll have access to the mid-level exception, which is about right up around 10 million now, and also to the biannual exception, which I think is hovering around $4 million for next season. That's if they keep both Nurkic and Hart. They won't have cap space, but they'll have access to all of those exceptions. Okay. So I'm finding myself of the mindset at at this moment that I'm thinking – that Nurk's going to end up staying and Hart's going to end up staying. And so that basically combined with the, you know, the cap holds for however their draft pick shake out as you're that pretty much there goes all the, you know, not even talking about the Anthony Simons, there goes any of your cap space. Right. That's, that's accurate. And, and, and yeah, I forgot we're doing audio. I got to say, <laughs> <Not and, being laughs> like, yep, you got it. And yeah, so I would, I would say it's accurate. The reason you might go the cap space route, is if they had a player who had a contract greater than $21 million. And Mm. so they have this trade exception for $21 million that they have to give up if they use the cap space. So the scenario where they use the cap space is if there's a player who makes more than $21 million, who wants to come to Portland and they, for some reason need to absorb his salary into that empty space, then they could, you know, sign and trade Nurkic. They could cut Nurkic. They could cut Hart. They could, you know, move heaven and earth to get whoever that player is with that maximum contract mm-hmm. um, in an imbalanced trade. But that's a, that's a, I think, an unlikely move. I think you're right. The more likely scenario is they probably hang on to Hart and Nurkic. 
and play the over-the-cap game, and they have access to those trade exceptions, the mid-level exception, and the biannual exception. Okay, and then that the over-the-cap, I think, is what another thing that's confusing a lot of people in trying to figure it out because they hear the term like if if the blazers operate as an over the cap team then this well we're well everyone's sitting back going but wait i thought they just made all these moves to get all this cap space and get under this but that's where the importance of the joe Ingles contract comes in right you know because they get to hold that 19 million dollar bird rights and that kind of makes them technically be an over the cap team or am I they wrong could be an over this? the cap team with or without the Ingles contract. Um, they the way it works is, for instance, that that traded player exception worth twenty one million dollars counts as a cap hold. Mm-hmm. So that is counting against their cap number the whole time. So regardless of what it, like of whether or not they keep Ingles on the books, they will be over, or they can choose to stay over the salary cap and use all of those exceptions. Um, Ingles is useful for could be useful for several reasons. Um, one would be a sign and trade deal where if they wanted to sign someone to a big money contract and they wanted to aggregate that salary with other salaries, which they wouldn't be able to do with the trade exception. We're getting way into the weeds now, um, <laughs> but essentially having Ingles birds rights allows for more complicated trades. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's one good thing. The second thing it does is we saw this happen with Myers Leonard in Miami where if you're a team that's going to operate over the cap, it's beneficial to be as far over the cap but under the luxury tax as possible so that later on you can make trades. Mm-hmm. And so you might offer someone, Joe Ingles, the remainder of the money you have under the luxury tax but over the salary cap once you've signed all your other players, and then you can use his $10 million or whatever for a trade later in the season, which is why we saw last year the Miami Heat were like, you know what, we're going to give Myers Leonard a $10 million guaranteed deal and a second year of a non-guaranteed $10 million. That was so that they could match salaries and trades as needed. And so Ingles gives them the flexibility to both absorb more salary in a trade immediately, and down the road, um, he could also be a filler piece in another trade. Okay. All right. And then I think the the prevailing theory is that if Ingles doesn't find his way back to Utah, he's probably going to go back to Australia and play for the national team. What are the NBA trade rules with trading with the Australian National Basketball League? Is that <laughs> no. well? It's it, you know that, that's actually a, not a not a silly question because this happens you know during the lockout when someone signs a deal in China. The FIBA rules are like the international basketball rules are, um, which all these leagues sign up for, is they have to finish that contract. And so if he signs a deal in Australia, unless he has some kind of out clause, like unless he has some kind of thing written into his Australian contract saying, if I'm offered an NBA contract, I can immediately leave. Mm-hmm. You can assume once he signs that Australian contract, he's he's done with the Blazers at least for a year. Okay. All right. Dang, I can't try. I know you meant that as a joke, but it's, well, it's actually uh, yeah. non it's not entirely well, well for me i'm also trying to figure out like a loophole of like somehow you know because patty mills is australian and i really like him so like if you could trade joe Ingles to australia and somehow retroactively get a patty mills out of it I, i'm just now i'm, I'm, I mean, I'm for, you know lamella ball played there for a year and it worked out for the hornets so i, I think australia is the place to go if you're 19 and very good at basketball this is true this is true and you only have to contend with every deadly creature mankind has ever god has ever made so <laughs> well you yeah, go play for one of the new zealand teams there's two of those too <laughs> so it it seemed to me coming up near the end of the trade deadline that that the blazers kind of loosely maybe had a, a bit of a plan in place and and that plan very much hinged on the fact that the nets and the sixers 
wouldn't get a, a Harden Simmons trade done. And, you know, maybe then the hope was that in the off season, the Blazers could take this, that, that 21 million trade exception. And then any of that cap space, because I've heard this floated out here. I'll ask all the stupid questions that I've heard. I'm throwing that out there, but this is, you know, it, it seemed as, and it was very much talked about that. That was the plan. Like, Oh, you know, the Blazers, you know, they can accept Ben Simmons in, in some sort of lopsided trade. And then, you know, there's a sign and trade with Harden or whatever, but you shook your head aggressively on that so by like cap math rules that something like that wouldn't have worked once once cj was traded a ben simmons trade was very unlike um the reason for that being is simmons does make more than 21 million dollars so to create the salary space to take him on in a trade Mm -hmm. we would have to be an under the cap team which requires sacrificing nurkic part and all of those exceptions. And so the, you, you know, you, you're seeing this compounding bill to take Ben Simmons on in a trade where you're just like, you're, you're gutting your entire roster. Mm-hmm. And so once tr- CJ was traded to the Pelicans, I mean, it wasn't official that there was no chance Ben Simmons was coming to the Blazers. But once you see that CJ trade going through as a, as if you look at the, the numbers in the book, you're like, all right, Simmons is not happening. Um, what the trade did though was they do have the option to create max space if it is needed. So if for Mm -hmm. some reason Ben Simmons pivots and I'm completely wrong, and he's like, I want to play for the Blazers, and they decide it's worth dumping Nurkic and Hart, they have that option to get him. They also have that option, like if they get word from DeAndre Ayton's team that you know he wants to play in Portland and the Suns aren't going to match a maximum deal, they have the ability to fit those types of players into their cap sheet, but it also, you know, it has to be worth it. Like you don't just create maximum space to create maximum space and sign and give up everything you have on your entire roster. If it's not worth it. And so I think, I think it's unlikely they get anyone with a maximum salary because the sacrifices they have to make at this point, I don't think will be commiserate with the quality of player they'll get back yeah. based on who's available. Okay. And so that's kind of, you know, I, I, I have in that, that, that based on who's available, I, I, I have a very pie in the sky kind of outlook of, uh, that I'm hoping that now that the team doesn't have a GM who does nothing but publicly shit on the city and say that it's a horrible place to live, you know, there might Cronin, I'm assuming they're going to allow him to finish this out, might be able to be a better salesman. And, I mean, again, I'm calling this complete pie in the sky optimism that, you know, in today's current media landscape where your market doesn't necessarily dictate what kind of deals you're going to get, that maybe it might, it Portland could see a turnaround of, an, of being able to lure and attract free agents. Now, sadly, when we have the money to test this out, there's really no free agents that you desperately want to lure and attract. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves in a Hedo Turkaloo situation again. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, I do think the, the good news is there is a certain amount of flexibility on the books right now. Um, you can concoct scenarios and feasible scenarios mm-hmm. where they have cap space next summer instead of this summer. Um, I think looking to, to that cap space is probably a lot more um, realistic. I just don't, I don't see how they're going to draw like one of those, you know, one of those high end free agents this year and, and also want one of, I mean, they're just not that like, if you look at the list of free agents, it's not promising. No, no, it is. It is definitely not. That is very depressing list to look through. So I think the, and and that's why you have to look at this, I think as a multi-year rebuild, because right now what they're doing is they're like, 
they, they're dumping all their salary and maybe, you know, they're, they're more or less oxygen auctioning it off. We saw that mm-hmm. with the Powell deal where they took very little back and they're accumulating draft picks. And usually what you, you know, the next step is you, you accumulate enough draft picks and enough blue collar talent or that you can, or blue chip talent that you can then cash that all in for, for a maximum level player. And the Blazers haven't even acquired all of the draft picks yet. They have like one extra draft pick this year, maybe if New Orleans records works out and then they still have to give a pick to Chicago. Yeah. And so until they've accumulated that draft capital and blue chip, like prospect talent, it's, I, I just don't see how they're going to attract a, or how they're going to in any way acquire a maximum level, like all-star type of player quite yet. Yeah. And then that's, that's been another idea that I've seen floated out there. Like, you know, as soon as that trade deadline happened and we're like, great, this roster is crap. The tank is on, let's go. Everybody get your commander hats out. And then just the scrappiest group of guys that, I mean, they're all NBA players. They'll all the 15th guy on any bench will kick all of our asses on a game of pickup. And, you know, so you see them rip off four, four wins in a row. And now the theory is out there of, well, you know, maybe is it the worst thing in the world to, you know, try to make the playoffs this year and, you know, just hurry up and convey that pick to Chicago. Um, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anyone who wants the team to make the playoffs. Obviously um, I, it's not something I can personally get excited about. We, we had this identical conversation during the 2016, 2017 season. Oh yeah. The, uh, the PTSD of that year is just, I get, I get flashbacks. I find myself in cold sweats. It's yeah. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I, I try not to relitigate the tank or not tank argument. Cause it's, I don't, I think, you know, you're, you're pretty much know your opinion and it kind of depends on what you've experienced as a fan. And, and for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm not in inter- like, I'm glad they won those four games in a row, but to me, it should not have any bearing whatsoever on the overall strategy. Yeah. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of abiding by the theory of that, you know, post trade deadline, they just had this, you know, misfit roster of toys. And, you know, in order to do some due diligence on, on, things that you got, you know, kind of see what they can do in your, in your system, on your team, whatever, and how they interact, you know, perfect time coming up right before the all-star break. I'm expecting a lot of guys to not play more than 20 minutes a night post all-star break. And that's kind of like, if the tank ends up getting in full effect, but well. you know, and I think that is the one, um, obviously, you know, the coach, they try to win each game, but you don't maybe have the best players on your roster to win on any given night. Like the thunder are doing, um, I think you can kind of look at some of the minutes that they're playing. Um, so playing Nurk, you know, 35, 36 minutes, which has happened a couple times now during what is ostensibly a lost season, um, given his injury history that, that I, I just, I don't know that, that playing him 35 minutes to chase victories in February, 2022 is a good long-term decision. No. Um, and you know, you don't need, you don't need to see justice Winslow 35 minutes a night to know what he's going to, to bring for you at this point. Um, so I, I do think there's some, um, some interesting decisions being made right now with playing time. Yeah. Yeah. One of what, one of them is that I, I'm very much going to regret my Anthony Simons, most improved player bet that I laid down. Uh, if, <laughs> if post all-star break, you know, he suddenly has some soreness in his back or, uh, he's only playing, uh, you know, 15 that's, minutes that's, a night. You, you bet, you, I mean, you're also essentially rooting for a drama rant injury for that to happen. So, <laughs> Hey, I, I, I don't know. It's I, I, I got suckered into it. I'm blaming golden or he talked me into taking it. It was, it, it's, it's not a bad bet. Cause you're, yeah. you're, you are one guy 
guy slightly underachieving away from cashing in. So I don't think it's a bad bet, but it's yeah. not looking good at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of bitter when Goldner told me about it and he's like, you should get in on this. It was like, I think Ant was like plus 5,000 and I, uh, I sat on it long enough that he dropped all the way down to plus 3000. And it, that was maybe only like a week and a half different. So I'm like, well, we're trending in the right direction, I guess. So I might as well hop in on this, but, um, so one of the, one of the things that, that I think, and, uh, I'm going to go back to a pie in the sky. This, this is kind of one of my hopes and it kind of pushes back a little bit against with what you were saying on, on the, you know, you don't necessarily see a, a decent path for them for next season, but, I'm not necessarily opposed to like, if draft picks pan out, like even if the Blazers end up like in a seven and end up getting, or in new Orleans at like an eight or something like that, you know, if they're able to possibly package those picks up to jump up and get a, a Jabari Smith, he's a player. I really, really, really like, uh, by all accounts, he's literally a plug and play starter power forward for the league. You know, the Blazers going into next season, looking at a roster of, you know, Dame and, Hart, Jabari Smith, and uh, Nurk. I'm, I, that's something I can get excited about, and I'm not going to lie. I kind of, I'll, my optimistic fan hat would say that that could be a contend, contending-ish team next year. But do, do you, does something like that get get you excited, or do you still say that that would probably put them, you know, a year out, or you got to take some of those other pieces and trade them away and try to take a bigger swing? I, I think it depends. Um, I think, yeah. So what you're talking about is like kind of the best case scenario. We we've actually seen the best case scenario in franchise history where they turned in recent franchise history, where the Blazers turned the two draft, two lottery picks in the 2000 in, in the Brandon, Roy, 2007, 2006, 2006 draft for Aldridge and Roy. And they, they got the best two players in the lottery using those two draft picks. Yeah. Um, and then they won the lottery next year draft Greg Oden. That's essentially what's going to need to happen for them to be competitive immediately. They have to find two players who are ready to go as LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy. Remember Brandon Roy was an all-star in his second year. So he's essentially immediately an all-star level player. Mm-hmm. So they have to find, I think two players of that caliber in this, in this lottery. So they need the lottery balls to find right, like to bounce, right. They need New Orleans to miss the playoffs. And even then, it's still probably like, think back to Aldridge and Roy. It's, you know, they were, they were pretty bad in the 2007 season. The Blazers were sub 500 2007, 2008, they're 41 and 41. Finally in Roy's third year, 2008, 2009, they went 54 games. They still lose in the first round of the playoffs. And that's more or less the best case scenario of what we're hoping for right now. Um, so I, I think you've got to say at least two years before we see a feasible path to continue. Okay. And then that two years that puts us up against, I think that brings us right to the 2024 when, you know, by all accounts, as long as Dame is completely bought in, which he said 5 billion times that he is, you know, the, the team is probably looking at giving him this, you know, two year, hundred million dollar extension that would kick in. I think after that, either that season or after that season. And I kind of want to address one little cap thing with you because it took every ounce of my being to not immediately try to get into a Twitter argument with Dwight James. When I saw him make, make an, uh, an assumption and someone, someone was asking him something about cap space or why they need all this cap space for this summer and his just direct answer was, well, they need the cap space this summer in order to pay Lillard his extension. <laughs> 
can we explain why that is not, you know, at all how, you know, math and contracts work per se? Yeah. Um, so Lillard's extension can happen regardless of where the Blazers are salary cap wise. Um, and so the, what they do with their cap space this summer will not have an impact on, because they, they can go as far over the cap as they want within there's like a, a specific scenario where they, they couldn't go as far over as they want. But for the most part, you can imagine they can give Lillard as much money as they want to give him yeah, within yeah, yeah. The, the NBA salary structure. Yeah. And then the last little cap question that I wanted to touch on is, is obviously with Anthony Simons being a restricted free agent and then his resurgent play as of this year, you know, and we'll also throw in the fact that he's represented by no, wait, Nope. I bad note taking on my part. I almost said Anthony Simons is represented by clutch, but he's right below Nurk on my list. So I, I goof those, but, but him coming up, you know, what kind of contracts do you think, he's going to end up getting and, and do you see the blazers immediately putting out a qualifying offer to him or will they let kind of other teams dictate the market with him? Um, you know, usually with restricted free agents, you can let someone else sign them to something unless you're intending to immediately max them. Um, probably beneficial for Portland to not offer him a maximum contract immediately. Um, and wait and see what someone else offers him. Mm-hmm. The the one hang up with Simons is you you do eventually risk depending on how much fam you know once Lillard hits that maximum super max you can keep paying Simons large sums of money. You're paying eighty million dollars to those two players on a salary cap of let's say like 130, 140 million dollars at that time. Mm-hmm. So you do start to run into the CJ McCollum problem, except Damian Lillard is now thirty five instead of twenty eight. Yeah. Does and and Anthony he doesn't hit any of the benchmarks to where he's eligible for because I think that how the NBA breaks that down is you know you're you're allowed a super max slot which I want to say is like thirty what the thirty five percent of the cap or whatever um, uh, and then a max spot but that's isn't that all kind of dependent upon uh, like years of service have, or anything he needs to have like he needs so he 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 needs to sign, like he needs to either play ten plus years to get to that thirty five percent mark or like get all kinds of benchmarks. Um, and he's never even made an all-star team, so he's not winning defensive player of the year. He's not what? NBA two years. But he's three. athletic and lanky, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he he will not be he will not be um in line for like an incentive based bonus maximum contract. He's gonna be just a regular old maximum contract if someone wants to offer that to him. Okay, good. Cause that's, that's one of the other things that I see out there floating around in the, you know, the blazers rumor mill is, Oh, great. We just took all this money that we were paying CJ and we're going to give ant $35 million a year. I'm like, I don't think, I don't think that works that way. Well, I think it does because the cap is going up. And so he will be, if he signs just a regular run of the mill contract, he'll be over $30 million pretty quick. Oh, um, and that's where you get that $80 million for Dame and Simon very soon and then throw throw in heart and you're we're back to three guards with 96 some odd million dollars there you go okay damn it you crushed exactly correct well eric it's always great to have you on here and crush my hopes and dreams but (laughs) (laughs) but uh no i mean is there anything else i mean because like obviously you know you 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 do a great job of writing your uh, these pieces uh, for, you know, for Willamette week, which I always kind of do have to chuckle and giggle when you're uh, a completely across the country writing for the, for the local one Willamette establishment. 
Um, but you know, I, and you try to do a really good job of explaining through with people on Twitter and, and whatnot, and then even articles and stuff you write on blazer's edge, but is there any, any other kind of egregious kind of, or misunderstanding things that you've seen with, with people in the cap that, you know, I'll give you the long form audio format to, you know, maybe clarify some things. Um, I think the biggest thing that I see is like the idea of like, you need to trade away this perfectly usable player to quote unquote, create space for player. Y. Um, I don't think the blazers are a team that can be trading away, like essentially salary dumping useful players for nothing to quote unquote, create playing time for Amperty Simons. They don't have so many good players on the roster that you can't afford to give Simons and Powell, both 30, 32 minutes a night until you find a better option. Like until you find a better for poor Powell. Um, I think that's the biggest misconception I hear. Is, do you think that maybe that, uh, you know, we're all just kind of still, or that's a, a lingering effect per se of the, uh, you know, the Wesley Matthews CJ kind of when, when they had their changing of the guard where it's like, oh, well, if we just would have gotten rid of maybe Wesley sooner, CJ could have blossomed a lot quicker or something along those lines. I mean, CJ had a chance to CJ played that season during 2014, 2015. You got as many minutes as he could handle. And he fell out of the rotation by merit, not by, I mean, just there. No, no, that was, that was Wesley's fault. It was, it wasn't his, it was Wesley's just, (laughs) um, I think it's a, I think it's a symptom of the Neil Shea era. That was a common thing. He would say like, we need to trade this or not, not resign this perfectly useful player to create more room for so-and-so. Um, I think usually it was a cost cutting salary cutting move that was um, repackaged as like some imaginary rotation crunch. Um, my hope is that people are more willing and able to start to see through clear cost cutting moves as opposed to clear like basketball moves um, as we become more educated and as we, and as we start to better understand um, kind of the 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 propaganda tools that the new old Shea era was using to convince fans of that. Yeah. Speaking of Neil O'Shea, I have one quick question. I feel as though I've noticed one big word in every article that you've written since he's left that I've had to go and look up what the heck it means. Are you intentionally trying to pull the Neil O'Shea word of the day calendar in all of your writing now? Or is that, or is that just complete happenstance? Uh, no, I've, I've always done that. Um, actually I was pretty annoyed. Like bifurcate is a word I used like not more than never in writing. And then I'll say one said, and I had to like, make, like check myself to make sure I was never using it. Um, so, you know, I think I've been using big words since before I'll was a, a household name in Portland. So I'm going to say he stole that from me. Okay. You, you inspired the Neil O'Shea word of the day calendar. Ah, that was, it was the staple of a staple bingo bingo space. It almost became the free space in my bingo card for a while. He was it, here, it really but. was. It, um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think <laughs> the other thing, like you, you're asking if there's one misconception I want to clear up. I, I'll go the opposite way and say something that I am happy about is that the team is at least interesting again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I struggled to really stay engaged with the, the team before all of these trades because it was, in my mind, like a, not a competitive roster with no path towards competition. I don't see a clear path for immediate competition with this roster, but at least there's potential that the team will be interesting in two to three years. Um, and so I, that I'm personally excited about. Well, and especially being over on the East coast, when it becomes such a time commitment to your, like, do I want to, you know, how interested am I in watching this? this no, I, don't, I don't mind staying up late. If they're, if they're good, I'll watch them. If, <laughs> well, but, if they're good, but, I'll watch all 82 games. It's they, they, 
but it's, it's, you know, what I want is some sign of forward progression. I feel like probably the biggest problem with the team since the 2016, 2017 season is I never like look at them and feel like they have any, any like real clear, like coherent year to year improvement. It just feels mm-hmm. like they're kind of more or less um, at the same 40 something wins and a likely first round playoff exit every single season. And so the fact that there's potential that, Hey, there could be a Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge summer this year that mm-hmm. could happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's exciting. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, for me, it's that it always seemed that there was one path and one path only and one plan. And it was, if anything happened to that plan, it was panic mode, scramble mode. What's Nick Stauskas doing? Can we get him back? <laughs> you know, those, those kind of panic moves, you know, as opposed to now where it's like, okay, so there's an A, B and C and possibly a D and E that hasn't even necessarily crossed our minds so far. Exactly. And you know, that, that I think is the, like, if you're trying to sell something, like you're trying to pitch someone on what the team has done, we don't know who the max player they might go after in the year 2024 is but they're setting themselves up to be able to trade for whoever the 2024 version of James Harden or Ben Simmons is. And that was not the case a few months ago. Yeah. And then one of the other things too, like, I mean, even in regards to, you know, you know, the ability to absorb somebody if they want to in a, in the trade a player exception or get involved in some sort of three team deal is that, you know, every year in the playoffs, you always see a team or two that just absolutely flame out and their player's done and he wants out or some guy wants to go. And he's like, get me out of here. Because I mean, like at this point in time last year, I don't think any of us would have picked that Ben Simmons would have decided to pull what he pulled and be a sixer or that after only playing a grand total of, I don't know what the hell, 13 games or whatever. I think even just this season, or it may have been a total 16 games, you know, Harden and yeah, he Irving. Played more, Harden played more minutes with the nets than Durant has. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, anyways. All right. Well, I kind of blow your mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew he sat out the year when he first got, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. But I mean, none of us, none of us would have from the outside been like, Oh yeah, sure. Of course the Sixers and, and, and Nets are going to trade their disgruntled stars. So, I mean, like crazier things, are known to happen. And so it's, it is, you know, with having all these options, it is, you know, at least fun to think about, you know, that the future does have possibilities, but with that, do you be with Neil O'Shea gone and what we can maybe end on this, but with Neil O'Shea gone, when, when you hear Cronin or when you hear anybody from the organization say it basically, you know, trust us, we have a plan. Are you more likely to trust him now? Or has uh, a decade of that kind of lip service just forever burnt you for now? Um, I mean, I, I don't think you should ever trust, take what they say at face value. They're, they're, they're trying to sell when they're up on stage, they're, they're trying to sell tickets. It's like full stop. They're trying to sell tickets. So they're trying to sell you on what this team could become. Um, and so I don't, I, I think maybe, um, what I see is that his like Cronin statements were more in line with reality. Um, I don't buy for a second that they're looking at next season and thinking they can be contenders next season, like he said, but I do believe that they were, intentionally making a point of being able to be a team that could acquire players at any level of salary, which is something he emphasized that flexibility to be able to do that. And I, I, I believe that that was their goal. Um, so that part I do believe. 
Well, all right. Well, I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I will definitely be betting on their over win total and maybe putting down a, them to win the championship bet when they re, when they refresh after the off season. But anyways, to fact check myself real quick. Durant has played a grand total as of right now, 2,470 minutes for the Nets. James Harden, before he was traded, played looks like 2,946 minutes. 500 minutes. That's not an inconsequential amount of basketball. That's, that's 12, like 12, 13 games. No, I might more. Yeah. It could be, you know, it's like, yeah, 15 games probably. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, Eric, I, I hope we were at least able to clear up some form of cap confusion until the internet becomes a flame later on in the week with whatever new machinations that it decides to put out there. In the meantime, tell people where they can find you. Tell people where they uh, can uh, locate all your work. And uh, if you got anything to plug that's maybe coming up here uh, in the near future, uh, now, now's your space. Uh, yeah, I'd say um, follow me on Twitter, Eric G underscore NBA. I mostly tweet about the Blazers. Um, lots of salary-based stuff, but I also am able but what happens on the court sometimes. Um, and then most of my writing is in Willamette week on an as needed basis. So whenever something exciting happens, I'll file a story there. <laughs> I think it's not both you and Corbin Smith that kind of just, whenever something tickles your, your fancy, you send it into them. Is that kind of how it works? I think both of you guys uh, you do know, they, I think they, I think they, um, I think they like a certain amount of Blazers coverage. Um, and so I think uh, they, when something exciting happens, they kind of, you know, look for someone to uh, fill in. Uh, fill in that space so you know something like Nurk fever happens or the blazers win the greg odin lottery and whatnot you can imagine that the news editors of willamette week will see the some possibility there uh to, for the old school reference you'll uh, you'll get the poke notification on your facebook page there no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, all right that's what it is <laughs> all right well thanks eric and we will talk to you soon sounds good have a good night Thank you to both Ryan and Eric for holding it down. I am here editing this episode and I'm trying to be quiet because my better half is sleeping, but did want to come in and say, if you want to follow, we like the blazers. You can always do that. at we like the blazers.com. Follow us on Twitter at like the blazers. Follow me at golden PDX and Ryan at the witty Ryan. Again, shout out to Ryan and Eric for jumping on the pod and talking about stuff it has been i'll just i'll just edit i hey i got the mic i got the floor i'm editing i got the editing power it has been such an interesting last couple weeks of blazers basketball and i have to say as someone who was very firmly pro tank it is so it's so interesting how quickly four little games can change everything the dynamic of the team being different people's expectations of what they want for the rest of this season changing people being okay with letting go of a potential top four pick in a draft where you maybe can get a generational talent if not just someone who is big and can take up space and probably contribute on day one throw that all out the window because the blazers look like a lot of fun right now so i can't wait till ryan and i get back in the recording booth together post all-star break but until next time again thanks to ryan and eric for jumping on Uh, check out we like the blazers and until next time appreciate you all okay bye closing credits done